0: Welcome, B2B startups, changeups, scaleups, scale-ups, and grown-ups. This is the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. Let's do this. Our guest today is Jian Wei. He's the founder of BuildZoom, which is an online marketplace that matches homeowners with contractors. And prior to that, he was head of product management at Vocus, which was acquired by Cision, and before that, he spent nearly four years as head of product at VFluence, which is, was kind of like a PR agency that also had some sort of an online place. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, he's an expert at building disruptive products and driving online revenue. So I'm psyched to have him with us. And you know, he has a BA from Georgetown in English and Music Theory, and then a master's from the London School of Economics. Uh, Jian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks.
1: Thanks for having me. Uh, i'm
0: excited to talk let's talk for a minute just before we get started sort of about the backstory with the uh with the english music theory degree were you like a musician growing up or
1: yeah what led to that um so my parents were uh adamant that starting at about age five i learn uh violin um so i i, I was playing violin from the age of five um you know, private lessons twice a week, uh, and then like music theory classes on on Saturday morning. So it was just something that, it was just something that they sort of they pour, they pushed on me, and I and I didn't do so. Did you
0: like it? Like, were you?
1: You know, um, I I think that once I basically once I stopped taking like private lessons, I I liked I enjoyed it a lot more. I was able to actually play with like other musicians, um, and 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 just kind of have fun with it. Um, so I, I, did, I did really love the instrument and like the music. I, I didn't like the structure of, um you know, like your typical symphony structure.
0: Did you ever think about jazz or pop? I mean, was it like, oh, I want to be a musician, but I got to make a living. So I'm going to go to London School of Economics. or
1: I, I never loved it. Yeah, I didn't love music that much. I, I, and I wasn't, I quite frankly, I think it was because it probably didn't love me that much. And I wasn't good enough to even think about
0: making a living doing it. It's amazing yeah. right? that the levels of, 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 of how expert musicians are. I mean, at the top, there's like five more levels up there. You know, some, some musicians are so good. Yeah. Well,
1: they, I mean, I think they're wired to, they're, the first of all, they're naturally good at it. Then secondly, I think they're emotionally wired. So it means something different to them. Right. And like, they can't not do it. Like literally they couldn't not do it. I mean, you know, for me, I, I could very easily not do it. And I some, oftentimes didn't like the way it, I, I sounded. And, you know, like, yeah, I think they're just, they think they're wired differently. Completely. Were your
0: parents crushed when you gave up the violin or were they good with it?
1: No, they were good with it. I mean, I was 18 by that point. So they're,
0: probably they relieved. <laughs> they're probably relieved by that point.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't really also have too much control at that point.
0: Now so your education is you know you get your you get your your bachelor's at Georgetown and then you go to London School of Economics it's typically a runway for a career in politics
1: yeah 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 so no my- I mean I think that was I was well so I definitely was like thinking pre-law and maybe move into you know government potentially or politics after that yeah um, and um, I did not like sort of like the pre-law track. I started talking to a lot of like junior associates and I don't know how, how, you know, how familiar you are with that industry, but like associates, especially, you know, the more junior associates at firms oftentimes uh, don't have like the best lives. And that kind of that freaked me out and scared me off a bit. Um, so I, I, my senior years when I really was like, okay, I probably don't want to do this. Uh, I want to do something different.
0: I read this book called Authentic Happiness by a guy named Martin Seligman, who's the president of the American Psychiatrists Association. And he did these tests to try to figure out how happy people are. And he handed out pagers with five buttons on them, five being the most happy, one being the least happy. And he would page people throughout the day and have them select how happy or unhappy they were at that moment in time to do this experiment about what authentic happiness was. And uh, what he said in the book was that of all professions out there, typically the the people that are the least happy are lawyers.
1: Yeah, I wonder if they were the uh, the, the partners or the associates though. I sometimes think the partners uh, have sweet lives. You have to write, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I it's a tough job and they're kind of on the hook with billables. Like it's, there's a lot of pressure in that job, especially if you're at a firm.
0: So now, um, you were a joint major in English and music at Georgetown. Was that hard, juggling both, or not really? Um,
1: so, so actually, you know, uh, I had a mandate from my dad going into going into school, which was like, you have to maintain a three five or above, otherwise, I'm not going to pay your tuition. So that's why I did the music minor. Uh, uh, that's why I did music because that was like just easy A's for me at that point, right? Strategy. Uh, I've right. been doing that since I was five and uh with english um it was again i think it was just e- like easier to get a's without having to exert myself too much um that's the sad truth so um, what's, what's I, I did love i did love writing um that was something i truly was was always in love with um, uh uh-huh. you know I, lo- I love the act of like just creation and like through me for me the medium of writing was was one that always was particularly appealing to me how um, are you i loved numbers? reading.
0: How are you with numbers? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, you know, again, I think that I'm pretty, I'd say I'm pretty strong. Um, that would be an area where, you know, I'd say actually I'm equally strong in both. Um, you know, one of those two things though, writing, I think I actually emotionally like love, right? Um, the numbers side of things, I never got to the point that you see some mathematicians get to where they, they just love, you know, the discipline. Um, you know, I never felt like I loved the discipline.
0: I mean, you got to know numbers pretty well to have raised uh, twenty-seven million dollars for BuildZoom in in five rounds. So, you know, tell us about that ride. I mean, starting from sort of from square one, how you got it off the ground, and and what it's been like. You know, dealing with uh, you know constantly raising money to you know continue to grow and scale.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, early on, Dave, who's the other founder, and me, um, were really interested in the space. I mean, we both had experiences as homeowners. and I mean, this is like your typical, um, you know, uh, typical Genesis story, right? You have like we, we, and it was true. Like we, we had this miserable experience. We started talking about potential solutions. You know, we really looked at the market, realized that uh, the market was so large. Um, you know, we're talking residential remodeling being two hundred fifty to three hundred fifty billion dollar annual market, and you know that doesn't include. Owner-led residential construction, which may be another 150 billion or so. Um, so this is a big market, and it ha- it has like typically, you know, according to like some sources, like Consumer Federation of America, it's responsible for some of the the largest problems uh, with consumers. You know, so we love that. We love the market, and uh, had a really good idea about how to solve just one problem, which was uh, supply-demand matching. Well. Uh, quality identification on the supply side and then supply demand matching through data. Um, And it really started with this idea of uh, creating an index uh, of every licensed contractor in the US and then uh, learning as much as we could about them um, through public record. Um, And so we built this, you know, we built a system that was aggregating licensure data from the States and then uh, building permit data from smaller jurisdictions, combining these into like this, this super set, like this huge encyclopedia of every single contractor and like projects that they had worked on. And then from there, we were able to build a scoring system that, you know, I think was pretty effective at figuring at least who was like a legitimate business, right, who had been operating for a while, doing projects for a while. Um, And then we, from there, we went to uh, building a matching, uh, kind of the initial matching system. Uh, between supply and demand. So when consumer comes to us, we ask them sort of a bevy of questions. And then based off the responses, we're able to kind of come up with like a short list of suppliers that we'd want to connect them with. And, you know, at that point, you know, we built all, a lot of this stuff just ourselves. And then, um, I mean, and it was it was pretty sloppily written, um, but it was enough to get uh, a lot of visits and a lot of users signing up on both sides of the marketplace. Uh, then we went to Y Combinator, Um, And that was really, why Combinator was probably the launchpad for a lot of the, the venture, the venture stuff, Um, especially at that time, you know, it was like 2013 Uh, it was, we were like one of the smallest classes in a while Uh, and there's a real big, you know, investor audience. So um,
0: for those who don't know, and that actually, let me just back it up. We're talking to Jian Wei. He's the founder of BuildZoom and uh, BuildZoom is a marketplace that matches homeowners and contractors for home improvement. And so he's built this marketplace. Now I'll tell you, I, you guys know, I built um, uh, iPressroom and uh, sold that. And I mean, there's nothing harder than a tech startup. But I mean, if there was one thing, if there was the hardest class of tech startups I could think of, it would be a marketplace because not only do you have to bring on customers, you have to bring on two sets of customers. You have to bring on the homeowners right the customers who are going to buy and you have to bring on the contractors the sellers who are going to sell um so that definitely seems i mean of all the things you could have done that seems like it's one of the hardest problems to solve
1: yeah um the marketplace a marketplace is challenging to build and and just to clarify actually you know um we have we we actually do we've evolved quite a bit and focused on more i would say construction versus home improvement. So the you know the average contracts that we're typically working on uh, are are ranging anywhere from around 50k all the way up to you know three four million at this point point. Um, and we we've, we've made this decision pretty deliberately over time it's it's actually because the nature of our our system uh, but this is where we found true product differentiation um, you know we because we have the data and we're able to like uh, really, you know, uh, mitigate like a lot of risk along the way. Um, you know, this this matters, like it increasingly matters for high when the stakes get higher. Um, and, and actually our, monetize, our revenue model is predicated off two streams. One is uh, owners actually pay for, um, you know, what we call premium where we actually have an internal team of construction engineers who will walk through the pre-construction process for them and serve as the representative, you know, from through pre-construction, which means, you know, working with the architects, uh, coming up with an RFP, managing the bidding process through our technology. So they actually, we put basically a construction professional on their side who has their interest at heart, who's now dealing with other contractors bidding on the job. So we kind of, you know, are able to like level the, the playing field and even the power dynamics this way. Um, so the owners pay for that service, and then you know there's uh, just sort of a, an ongoing fee we get from all the the GCs and architects uh, that that end up being on our network on the supply side. Um, so so but that that revenue model is also far more conducive towards you know larger, more scary projects, um, and so you know that's really where we've found product market fit. With you know the, the level of data and the technology we've built, our, our, our revenue model um, is is a little bit higher up in sort of the market, I think, than your you know than your your Angie Home Services or your, you know your Thumbtack. Um, and I have a, a great deal of respect for those companies, but they're in you know sometimes people will say, oh, home improvement, like we're like actually like building the houses, right? Or in some cases, like building multifamily developments. Or tearing down or doing gut renovations, um, you know, whereas we're not just doing like windows or siding or things like that.
0: So you spent five years as head of product at Vocus, uh, which got acquired by Scission. That must have been an interesting ride. And then you you basically, you and your partner Doug launch Build Zoom.
1: Dave, Dave. Sorry. I'm sorry. You was,
0: Dave, and, you yeah. you and your sorry. partner Dave. Yeah, build zoom. And, uh, and you, you wind up at Y Combinator, which is an incubator. For those who may be listening who don't really know about that world. Tell us about sort of why you decided to go there. And what did it take to sort of pitch them and get accepted into that program?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, So Y Combinator is great, actually, for outsiders, because it's like, I think what they give you is access. Access is a really big thing in you know, in Silicon Valley, uh, access, access to, investors. to
0: investors. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: I mean, and it's, it, it's, a it's, it's honestly, in many ways it do, it is sort of a relationship based industry. Uh, you know, um, that, that part of it is, is it tend, does tend to be relationship based. Now there's not a lot of like people aren't going to make investors, aren't going to make bets based off relationship. Right. But like to get, to get access, right. To, to, to the GPs at these firms, like relationships matter. And that's what YC does. I think really kind of uniquely. Um, they they certainly did it at the point we went. Uh, they just give you so much access. Um, you know, we were able to like after we went through the program, we were able to kind of kind of connect with you know 50, 60 VCs um, that came you know came inbound actually. Uh, so that was great. Um, they they also bring you together with some really talented uh, entrepreneurs from around the world, and like they 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 have some good systems in place to like you know, have you collaborate and, and actually, you know, you really end up becoming really good friends with some fantastic entrepreneurs, uh, through, through the course of this. And they have, you know, they have some really, uh, good partners that, that, you know, depending on the industry, I would say, but j- like, if it's like a, if it's like SAS or like B2B SAS or, you know, things that if there's a partner with familiarity with what you're trying to build in that market, it, it can be really, really helpful also. So,
0: so it's that's why Combinator is interesting uh, startups that came out of your class that we might know?
1: Um, uh, Zenefits was pretty big. Uh, Teespring uh, came out. Um, uh, boy, I wish it, like, uh, I'm, oh, uh, yeah. Actually, are you, this isn't live, right? Let me pull up a list, actually, because I'm not, I'm blanking on them, but there were all, there was a few real, uh, Padlet, uh,
0: we are live, by the way.
1: Oh, uh, I want because I because actually, if if any of the other founders hear this and I and I forget about them, they're probably going to be pissed off. But um, they're
0: probably beautiful people, and uh, they probably enjoy the yeah, 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 friends yeah, and yeah. family, okay. and they'll understand. So let's, let's so so you come out of Y Combinator, and oh, sorry,
1: Gold Belly. I play, I'll throw that one in there.
0: Gold too. Belly is Gold another belly. one
1: in in, in yeah.
0: In Toronto, okay, okay, all yeah, okay. uh, right. So, so you come out of Y Combinator and you do your first round, right? It's sort of a seed round. Yeah,
1: yeah. And how actually, much do you Y rate? Combinator does Y Combinator invest uh, uh, some some seed capital in you, uh, and then we did a seed round of like you know a bit over a million, million, one point three or something like that. Yeah. Um, and you know that enabled us to actually. How tough was
0: that? How tough was that? Like, walk us through from soup to nuts. Yeah. You're sitting down with uh, with Dave, and you're like, "Hey, dude, we got to launch this business. It's gonna we're yeah. gonna clean up. It's gonna be amazing." From there to this million dollar round, walk us through that soup to nuts.
1: Well, we were we didn't we were already working on it, no matter what. Like, right, once you get into YC, you get enough. I mean, it's not like we were we had we had enough capital that we we're able to like work on it with with minimal operational costs, right? So we're gonna work on it anyway. Um, you know the, the the capital helps you kind of move faster helps you accelerate And early stage what it does is it helps you sort of pay for engineers right and um you know so i think the big the, the biggest challenge is like really understanding you know how to tell your story effectively um and that was something that you have to learn and actually it was good you know like to get like 40 50 reps in right <laughs> by rep like 20 or 30, you kind of start realizing what like, what actually you should say, what you shouldn't say, um, right? And then then it's all about finding just sort of like that right match between someone you you like and you feel comfortable with. If they like you, they feel comfortable with you. Early stage, like, especially at a Y Combinator, like terms are, should be fairly normalized. It's not like you're going into like prolonged negotiations or anything like that. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing is like just understanding how to effectively like tell
0: your story. So, 30 pitches in, you start to f- feel your stride pitching VCs.
1: Yeah, I'd say, maybe, how long maybe does it take?
0: How long does it take to get through those first 20 or 30 pitches?
1: Um, you know, we split them up and then we would debrief, we you know, we'd split them up and we'd debrief after, um, so maybe two, three weeks.
0: And did you Something do like them that. virtually, did you do them in person?
1: no i mean this was 2013. that's where we're just doing them all meeting people. you know everyone's kind of like we were actually in palo alto but everyone was down there or, or had an office down there so we would just meet in palo alto
0: and so how do you tell your story how do you package a story in a way that attracts investment
1: yeah so i think i mean it depends on the stage right like at this stage um they're using one heuristic which is like the assumption that you're not like you know baloney um because you went through y combinator right so that's the, they have like this there's like a sort of this stamp and and now their question is like do they believe it all in do they like the generally it's like do they like you and like you know do they like the team um do they believe in the team um and then they're going to think about um you know the market i would say uh and then who actually, let me go in order of priority. Actually, I would say number one is like, who else is invested in you? Two is like, do I like this person? Um, And do I find them credible? And do I think that they're going to be able to do something really cool? Um, Three is like, do I like the market? Um, I think it's probably like four or five where they're like, okay, tell me, what does your product do or your business do? That would be like a little further on down the list. Um, You know, and then at some point, they're going to be asking themselves like, you know, uh, can I see a liquidity event uh, at 10x? Like, what's my chance? Is there like maybe if everything's a yeah, they're like, hey, look, is there like a 20% chance that I'm gonna see like a 10x liquidity event, you know? Um, and, and you know, then they'll, you know, and if, if the answer's yeah to all these things, they'll cut a check.
0: So if there's a 20% chance that they're gonna get it 20 times the return,
1: I was gonna then- say a 10, no, a 10x return.
0: If there's, a 10X a, return.
1: there's a 20% chance that they'll get a 10x return, you know, and everything and, else on that list was, And yeah, they like they like, never will do that. it. Yeah. yeah. Now if, yeah. if something on that list like was like really high yeah, like they they like love you, they, they may just stop there and and do it, right? At that point, depending on size
0: to check. And so so in terms of checking the boxes on, you know, whether or not they like you, what are some of the sort of biases that these investors have before you walk in the room what do they what do they want to see on your cv to before they're gonna say oh this guy's this guy's legit i don't
1: think they really look at your cv i mean a lot of it so if they were maybe they glance at it like if they found you through why if they found us through y combinator um they would have heard our demo day pitch uh or they would have heard us talk right and they I, I don't think there's a lot of like, let me look at this person's resume. They'll ask you what your background is, right? Like, how'd you get into this? Sort of like you did at the beginning, right? Like they'll get like a high level, but um, it's not like they're doing like deep due diligence into, you, into your background. Yeah. I think the main thing is like, they wanna feel like that you are somebody who uh, really understands, has a mastery of like what you are trying to do. And if things don't like pan out, will be, you know, will actually be talented enough to, to figure out something that does work.
0: So that's, that's, that's what gets you to round one. And then, you know, you're in, you've, you've done five rounds now. So, you know, you got round two, round three, I got to think that as you sort of get up this up there, they want to see not just revenue, but like what I would be nervous about if I was you going into pitch is I would be nervous about whether or not if they tested my system, I'd have enough action in disparate markets because you know, construction is location specific. So you know what if they're in New Hampshire or Vermont or Minnesota or wherever they are, I'd be worried like, oh, well, if we go into that market and we search our system, do we have more buyers than sellers or more sellers than buyers? How do we even it out? Was that something that you've been sort of looking at? How do we sort of develop each individual market?
1: Um, there have been, yeah, I mean, I'd say that you, have, like, we've always had a a, a a method through which we kind of broke up, broke the country up into sort of regional zones and then prioritized those zones, um, and tracked like health of the supply side in those zones, um, and, and got proactive in some when, you know, it was clear there was sort of like a dearth of, of, of good talent in that zone. Um, But uh, we never really um, would have, you know, done that, you know, to kind of for just to like, in in case like an investor may have like popped in a a service request in some, some region or something like that. Now, when, you know, when they've used the system, we, we have like, you know, paid attention for sure. Right. Want to make sure they have a good experience, but, but generally like, we've taken a more macro view of, you know, the supply side um, in, in, in the
0: marketplace. Well, if you, if, If it has been a buyer's market in a certain geography and you feel like you want to, you know, increase the supply, how do you do that? Like how if if because I know like in L.A. right now, it's really tough to find good trades. It's really good to find uh, good subs because everyone's busy, money's cheap and there's a lot of development going on. Um, So so what do you like? Is there some way that you sort of went into the market and developed it?
1: LA is pretty unique. I mean, LA is, a, is, is kind of for, I think, construction and development is a bull is kind of in a bull market phase right now. Um, and so there may be a deficit of subs. Uh, and that, that can happen so certainly in like, you know, growing areas. Um, I mean, generally speaking, like, uh, we found that if we're talking to them about a project, as opposed to telling them reasons that they should, you know, join our service in the future, right? Cause we promised them X, Y, and Z instead of that conversation, it's more like, Hey, um, we, you know, we're potentially, maybe you should, we're interested in you potentially bidding on this project. Can we talk about some of the details of this project? So what are you
0: Calling them or emailing them? How, how are you actually going head to head one-on-one with subs and, and contractors are trying to bring them onto the platform?
1: Yeah. So f- first is I'd say we generally are pretty focused on like the, the GC, uh, or home builder. Right. Um, Uh, And and second is keep in mind the system. So let's say we get like an owner who's doing like a ground up build in, um, I don't know, in Santa Barbara or something, okay? And uh, we're able to go into our system and we'll be able to look for um, uh, all the the contractors uh, who have a B license, according to the CSLB in California, right, who then have done permitted ground up home construction um, within like, let's say a 40 mile radius uh, of, of Santa Barbara. No one be able to look at the features of the of of the property that's being built and the features of the properties that have been built by those homeowners based on based on
0: the permits, based on the plans that were filed with the permits. I mean, how deep the features
1: of the property go from like more parcel level data, which which we have. Um, But yeah, the permits tell it was tell us it was a home build, right? Um, And then the parcel level data tells us what the home was all about. But anyway, by, by having done this analysis and come up with this match, coming up come up with this match, like my outreach, my cold outreach to you is no longer like, hey, I'm Bill Zoom. Um, you know, uh, you should work with us for reason A, X, Y, and Z. It's like, hey, uh, we saw like you had worked on a project at 5501 Florida Street, and you know, that that looked pretty similar to a project we're bidding out right now. Uh, we're working uh, on a lot, right, right, like you know, half a mile down the street. Uh, and are interested in talking to you about potentially putting a bid in. And actually that's all pretty realistic, right? And, and it can also be generated by a machine. Um, but that kind of communication that where it's like highly contextual, there's a re- like the reason we're contacting them is because our, our system's done all this analysis, right? Uh, and we're actually talking to them about a project. Um, those Those have kind of helped facilitate sort of, you know, pretty good conversations I'd say
0: yeah it's compelling to come from the customer side because you've got the business you've got the potential revenue for them yeah um yeah talk to us a little bit about um you know there's uh, i i know you know this but for listeners who don't uh, there's a, a strategy in uh, digital product development known as a, a minimum viable product yeah uh, aka mvp and it comes out of a yeah. a a, a, um, a way of doing things called lean manufacturing or lean Uh, which basically says, you know, don't build out all these crazy features in your product until you know people are going to use them, because you can't always and usually anticipate what the market wants. And so you may wind up building out all these expensive features that don't get used. So rather than when you're developing a digital product, rather than, you know, building all these things that you think are going to attract customers, fake it, sort of mock out, uh, Build a straw man of what you think they might use, and then if you see demand for specific products in there, even though they're not built out, then you can start developing them based on that. How do you feel about that approach?
1: I mean, we we use that approach today. I mean, we have a engineering team, um, but we don't build things based off like speculation. Uh, we will always look to uh, validate. Um, you know, we'll actually. So I, I'll give you I'll give you an example. Um, We wanted to uh, develop a system to kind of normalize uh, bids as they come in. One thing that people have trouble with on construction project, like owners typically will have problems with is reading um, uh, bids and comparing bids, okay? bid. there can be three bids with like, one can have like 60 line items, one can have 40, one can have 50, and then there's like a sum, a contract sum, in no way, to, can you compare those contract sums without actually normalizing all those line items? Because you'll see like, hey, uh, bid two is missing 10 things. Bid three actually has included five things. Like, And so this is a big issue. We wanted to build out uh, a system for normalizing and then comparing those things um, so that we could help the owners truly understand what they are either getting or not getting and, and make an apples to apples comparison. Um, you know, like there is a temptation, especially when you have capital and you have an engineering team, to say, "Let's go build this." Like, um, right? Like, let's go, uh, let's go spec it out with design. Let's put it into uh, engineering. Let's construct the data model. Let's get front-end engineering to build this awesome thing. Um, like, we just use Google Sheets uh, and prove it out, and people like love it. And then we're like, okay, let's see how far Google Sheets can take us. And then we see how far that can take us. And then at some point, you know, stuff starts breaking, right? With like off-the-shelf solutions, or you're like doing so much wrangling with the off-the-shelf solutions that it's just like tedious. And now you're now you're wasting money. Um, and then and then, but at that point, you that's your prototype. Then you go build, right? That's when that's when you use like you know the engineering resources and really productize.
0: So, you know, you started in PR, then you went to a software as a service company that served the PR community. at what so so you have a pretty good knowledge of PR and marketing, I imagine, because you've been serving that community. And then in your first job, you were in that business. At what points did you decide, hey, you know what, let's bring in PR here and do some earned media; it'll accelerate the process. Or hey, yeah, let's bring yeah. in some marketing here and you know see if we can increase uh, you know our results through marketing. Were there specific points in the development of the company where that was, you know, most important, and when you did that, how did you find those people?
1: Um. So, so actually, I'll tell you. Uh, when I was at Vocus, this was like they bought it. They bought PR Web, which was like. Um, I remember that. I think they were. You remember that? Uh, yeah. So, sure. So, so when when I came in to product manage, actually, the first thing I got to do was like basically figure out. How to work uh, how to integrate PR Web. And and actually they were in dire straits. Like they were doing a bunch of things. Uh um, that Google did really, like or focus? PR Web. Okay. Right? So this was like post acquisition. So you still really had the fact that the founder had left at that point, but you had a lot of that team there. Um and, and, and actually PR
0: the, Web is formerly MarketWire.
1: No, MarketWire, no, MarketWire was uh Market so had, separately. At that point, I don't know what's happened now. I think they're but like at that point, PR Web was actually a startup based okay. out of um, uh, I think Bellingham, Washington. Not related
0: to MarketWire. So not related to MarketWire. Wire, okay. Yeah. Right. right. I don't remember.
1: Nor, yeah. Yeah. Uh, nor P, Right. So your PR Newswire, Business Wire, usually third. I think was MarketWire at the time, and then PR Web might have had the fourth most users actually. Um, and so uh,
0: it was an SEO play. I remember everyone was using PR. There was web. a
1: big SEO. Yeah. You there was a big SEO component to it.
0: Because yeah. no one had figured out in that business, no one, no yeah. one was getting uh, um, slapped by Google for uh, uh, doing no doing uh, follow links. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. You remember?
1: You remember yeah. all the... Uh, so, and So at the
0: time, you could actually yeah. SEO a company by clearing the wire it was amazing. And then yeah. you know, Google clamped down on that. And none of the wires give you follow links anymore.
1: Right. Right. No, I mean it was it was good for that, and those articles uh, would rank too. So like. You could get the articles. Actually, if we did a few, a uh, few of those early on, like uh, like North Carolina general contractor. You put out like the you know the press release with North Carolina general contractor in the headline. Yeah, uh, it would oftentimes rank in organic search. On page one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the famous yeah, example is
0: by this guy, Greg Jarbeau, who actually was the guy who figured this whole thing not, out.
1: You know, I actually, I, it, it's been a while. But I have spoke met him. on some panels with him. He
0: was I on it. Him, yeah. Well, he was famous yeah. for the case study for Southwest Airlines where he he sent them a press release with cheap seats in the headlines. Mm-hmm. And they called him back and they, they said, We're going to fire you. We don't do cheap seats, we're the low cost leader.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he yeah.
0: brought up Google Trends, and he showed him yeah. search for low All cost traffic versus and, and, and cheap traffic, yeah. and they thought to themselves, hmm. They scratched their head. They thought, well, that's maybe cool. when it comes to SEO, we're cheap seats. We'll keep low yeah, cost yeah. leader in our advertising.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's that's a that's a great story. And it's probably I don't know. It was probably the corporate communications guys that were pissed off at him.
0: right? i um, don't know i don't know specifically who it was but that was the story yeah. that was the you know I, I heard him speak i heard him tell that story many times on many different panels
1: yeah 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 um sorry What was so, what so you get was, in I, I there you
0: okay, get yeah. in there and vocus has just acquired pr web and yeah, your job is to right. integrate pr web into vocus
1: yeah yeah right and and so naturally like everyone at pr web like hates hates you initially because first <laughs> of all because like this is i mean it wasn't I didn't take it personally. I'm like, I this company it. just got it. bought. They totally. have these executives from Vocus who were like telling them what to do. They don't like probably a lot of it. And they and were the now cool here's... kids.
0: Vocus was the cool kids at the time. Yeah, but not to PR web, right? Like, no, no, but on, but kids. in the industry, they were the cool kids. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I right. We probably and, made and PR web hate, hate you guys even more. I would imagine.
1: Well then, then they, then they brought some like, like smart ass guy in right. Who doesn't know, PR web at all. And we're like, this is the product manager who's going to work on this with you uh, guys. Like, so uh, what we'll kind of, you know, like that's a politics, great situation, maybe. right?
0: Well, I imagine yeah. your political training helped you there more than anything.
1: Um, you know what? I actually like was able to just like connect with the engineers there. Um, I think I had, a, I think the fact that I wasn't like a, a business guy, but like had an understanding of like uh, the underlying and like the architecture and the data modeling. Uh, I think I was able to speak with them and I also didn't go in there and try to just assert myself. I think I was able to like build some, build some good friendships actually with the engineers. Uh, and that makes, you know, that made a huge difference. We were able to like work together effectively from there. Yeah. cool. And I was flying out a lot just to get FaceTime with those guys. So.
0: Right. And so when you, through that process, what, what were the features that were you doing an MVP Type sort of thing at Vocus as well, or that was kind of pre MVP.
1: So we then built a SMB version of Vocus because Vocus was pretty mid market uh, and, and enterprise.
0: Okay. Uh, so we
1: built an SMB, I, I got to build an SMB version um, where PR Web played a prominent role in that SMB version, right? Um, and so, uh, so I got to do that. And then we refactored PR Web into Vocus because it was written. I think Vocus was .NET and I think PureWeb was pH, in some PHP framework. Ouch. So, yeah, and the CTO, the, net, the Vocus man. CTO,
0: yeah, net, yeah, right. Was, it was that, an issue. That was a cold death, baby.
1: Yeah, actually, in retrospect, I don't, I don't know. It would be interesting to connect with the CTO at the time and just see what he thinks, whether, I doubt he'd do that again. Um, just seemed unnecessary. Uh, but I think any it was rate, a licensing
0: um, issue that drove the .NET thing, you know, because everyone thought, oh, Microsoft's cheaper on the licensing, so we'll go .NET and we'll save money, but didn't pan um, out. No, I think,
1: I mean, PHP is like just open source. I think their issue was like, oh, they're just a bunch of .NET engineers um, and the CTO knew .NET, right? I think that, honestly, it was not, that was not the right decision, right? It was, it's kind of crazy in hindsight.
0: Right, right, right. So, um, so the the question was, and we got sidetracked. At what point, seeing as how you had a knowledge of PR and marketing, at what point did you decide, as the founder of BuildZoom, to engage PR and marketing to to you know drive the train?
1: Oh, I mean, look, I think on day one, right? Like, so Dave, uh, Dave's the other the other founder, and I. One of the things that we'd constantly be doing before BuildZoom was working on little side projects here and there to kind of see what we could do with organic search, right? Like I built a blog, actually, I was living in DC at the time and going out and I, I, I started a blog where I would like write about clubs. And so I would, I'd make sure that those reviews would always like rank number one, if you were to search for like the club in DC or whatever. Did that, um, get, you,
0: did that get you in? Yeah. Did that that get enabled
1: did? me to like, just go to any of them that you I wanted could, with like no line go out for free at any point in time. Right. Nice. That's I mean, so I was probably using <laughs> like, I was, <laughs> I, I don't know if that was like the right usage of like, uh, you know, the right application for these, the skill set. Um, but you know, that's something we were always interested in day one when we went once we were really determined and actually Dave built all the systems out to kind of aggregate the data. Uh, the, the first consideration was we'd have this great unique data set and that would, it would drive a lot of traffic, um, through organic search, you know? So, so that's been sort of actually a linchpin of, uh, for the, the whole company from day one, to be frank.
0: What about actually, that was our, age, that was dude? our
1: starting point. We didn't have a lot of like, uh, like interaction or we didn't have a lot of user flows built initially. It was, we we're just like, Hey, once we aggregate all the data, like let's start getting traffic and then we can start figuring things out from there.
0: So but from it was actually
1: like point, the the tip of the sphere
0: when you hit white combinator, I imagine news goes out about that. That probably gets filed on uh, Crunchbase. Then you close your first round. That moves on Crunchbase. So I mean, I've got to think that those types of news breaks were valuable to you, no?
1: Oh yeah, totally. And then you know the other thing that. uh we, we probably spent, we actually probably spent a little too much time thinking about this. Like we built this application, it's still up. It's at buildzoom.com forward slash map where you can literally like search for homes and find like permit data on homes. Um, and the reason we did that was, was mostly for PR. Cause we wanted to, we basically wanted like the, those backlinks in to kind of drive organic search. Um, And we we spent, I mean, we did a lot that was just oriented around organic search. And quite frankly, I think a little too much initially oriented around organic search. Um, Because yeah, I mean, when you have that many pages, uh, you need a lot of uh, just, you know, you need a lot of juice uh, to kind of rank, especially for, you know, the more generic terms.
0: So a final uh, question. What advice would you have for people uh, in PR at PR agencies, and for people at marketing agencies, and for specialists that want to work in house? What advice would you have for them if they wanted to work for a company like yours, or get hired by a company by yours, like yours?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say the better their understanding. I mean, this is really challenging, right? This is always the challenge with PR, like. At least with me now, I guess, uh, where I'm kind of a generalist and I'm a lot of the time thinking about the finances, I want to understand the unit economics. So I want to understand how your salary at the end of the day, honestly, at a high level is going to translate into dollars for the company. And, um, you know, it's really hard to always do that. It's easy with things like sales uh, or kind of like direct marketing. It's much easier. Um, than with PR, but like, I'm going to want to understand, this is me, right? I don't think this is like, I'm going to want to understand though, like how you're going to deliver financial value. At least the, I want to have the intuition, like a strong, a strong conviction (laughs) that there is some correlation between your output and financial value. Um, And, and that, that's the, that, that's the thing I think that I would, so I would say my advice would actually be like, when you look at that company and that leader, like understanding, what are what is really like the two or three things that are top of mind for them, and how do you relate and how do you kind of like fit PR and how does PR support those two or three things, right? It's not always going to be like you know the PL, and uh, which is really important for me, um, or cash flow, which is really important for me. Uh, it may be about like um, brand dissemination, which is not something I understand, but I but actually a lot of people are really successful who are just like preoccupied with brand, right? Um, But I think understanding sort of the two or three things that are most important for, like, the leadership group there, right? And um, really being able to, like, customize your story and and talk about how you're going to tangibly and ideally in an empirically provable way, you know, impact those areas.
0: And uh, Jian, if there is a a potential investor that's listening to this or a homeowner uh, listening to this and they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Honestly, it's just to go to uh, buildzoom.com. You know, you can actually, you can also just uh, send me a a connect invite. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I I use LinkedIn a lot, so I think that's also a good way to connect with me directly. If you want to just learn more about the site, it's just at www.buildzoom.com.
0: Cool. What I'll do is in the show notes, I'll have a link to build zoom and also to your uh, LinkedIn profile. So if someone wants to listen to that, um, uh, you can just get that at ericschwartzman.com forward slash blog. You know, we have an amazing lineup of guests uh, scheduled for this quarter. So if you want to sign up uh, for this podcast, you can do that at ericschwartzman.com forward slash b 2 B podcast. Um, Jian, I want to thank you for doing this.
1: Yeah, it was my pleasure. I enjoyed it.
0: I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening. This is Eric Schwartzman for the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. See you next time.